everyone. Welcome to Healthcare Clarity. My name is Anchita. I am a doctor in Australia and I've got Dr. David Seke. Say hi, David. Hi, Anchita. Hey, David. Now, welcome to you guys. This is a podcast where we will have conversations and interviews and lectures on various contents designed to enhance the lives of healthcare professionals in general. As a healthcare professional, um, often the pressures of work, both mentally and physically, can be overwhelming. Most of the times, you know, we can't really go home and talk about it with our with our loved ones and or even friends. There are topics and issues that people want clarity on, but often are just too difficult to talk about. APAS, which is Australian Health Practitioners Advisory Solutions, in collaboration with GP Clarity, will bring these issues out for discussions and consultations amongst peers so that we can all maintain a healthy and happy productive work-life balance. I personally got interested in this because I am currently the CEO of APAS and I have had some personal involvement in really difficult situations in healthcare world. And um, David, do you want to tell us why you're involved? Yeah, sure. So I was head of operations at a small medical corporate and by far the, the most commonly asked and also the most difficult to answer question was uh, am I billing too much of a certain item number? So a doctor would come to me and say, am I doing too many care plans or health assessments? Now, to answer that question, the amount of data that you have to trawl through as an operations manager is just, uh, it's overwhelming. Um, and there can be a lot of pressure on us in operations as well to be an- able to answer these sorts of questions. So I built GP Clarity to to address that and it's almost a, it's almost a, mar- a marriage made in heaven isn't it david this um a pass and the collaboration we have with gp clarity Correct. and we will talk about this in our future episodes um the podcast itself is designed to really just introduce you guys to what we are about and what we're trying to achieve we do have um hopes and ambitions to bring really interesting practitioners and industry specialists to talk about certain topics we are more than happy to accommodate any requests from our listeners as well so if you've got any topics that you would like us to talk about do some research on and bring some experts on and come on board to talk about it please do email us at uh, info at apass.com.au so today's topic guys we are talking about the PSR (laughs) so it seems to be the hot topic for most people in Australia that are Medicare billing um, doctors or any other problem Uh, practitioners. Um, I've got some personal experience with the Professional Services Review and I think there's a lot of questions but uh, David's going to guide me through some specific questions that people might have or Mm -hmm. people might be interested in and we can go through it. Over to you David. Yeah sure so uh, thank you Anchita for that. Um, What exactly is the PSR? Tell us about it. That's a good question, right? So initially when I heard about this, um, which was nearly seven or eight years ago, um, to be perfectly honest, I, I along with a lot of my you know, colleagues, knew nothing about it. So what the best way to describe it is as healthcare professionals in Australia billing Medicare, we need to take a few steps back to understand what Medicare is, right? 
So Medicare itself is an insurance program, basically, that's provided by the government to all Australians um, to be able to pay for their healthcare, basically. Um, so when you go to a doctor and let's say the doctor is saying they bulk bill you, um, that basically means that you get a service for a certain you know thing that you needed from the doctor and you allocate your insurance money that was supposed to be paid back to you for the amount that you paid to the doctor um, directly to the doctor. So the doctor basically gets paid from that insurance. So it's an insurance scheme. Essentially, that money comes from public money, right? So all our taxes pull up to the government and that's then allocated to insurances and Centrelink payments and so forth. And that's what um, the doctors and physios and um, even you know nurse practitioners and pharmacists, all of these people that bill Medicare or get Medicare rebates get as an income. Now, obviously, because just like the tax system, I suppose, like um, actually, David, you'd be able to sort of analyze this a bit further in, in terms of a tax type of thing. But I, I sort of make this analogy of whatever money health practitioners get through billing of Medicare is same as, you know, sort of maintaining the uh, accountability of what tax we pay. So essentially, it is public money, so we need to have some accountability to make sure that we're getting the right amount of money for the right type of service. Right. So what the government has actually done is they've created this system of um, making sure that all practitioners getting the money is basically legit. The way they did this is they've, cre they've basically got the Department of Health um, where Medicare lives and the Medicare basically identifies practitioners who... I guess in their point of view have dodgy practices from a statistical point of view or someone may have called them in and docked them in um, and basically they then um, do the this first step called the peer review process which is the PRP not the PSR. The PRP process is where I think a lot of us uh, that are general practitioners may have experienced the, the so-called letter from the Department of Health so you get this um, somewhat warning letter that you know you're billing a lot of certain item numbers which is what we call the um, specific build items um, and you know they sort of do this tap on the shoulder of you know you're a little bit out on the you know desert and you're billing a lot more than your friends and I think you need to be a little bit careful they also invite you to have a what we call a friendly chat to to talk about you know what your billing practices are etc etc now I must point out at this stage, it's never a friendly chat. It's friendly enough, but it's not really a friendly, casual chat. Everything you say and everything you do during that chat is admissible evidence. And it's actually, you know, going to gear where you're going to end up. Now, right. it's, it, sounds, it sounds very legal, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And are you invited to have your lawyer sitting there with you while you do this? Well, they usually say that if you want to, you know, if you want to or should, I think, contact your medical defense agencies, that's probably a good idea. Um, but they don't necessarily say that you need to have a lawyer as such. Um, they, they usually say you can have your practice manager there or a support person, but they actually don't explicitly, as far as I know, um, say that you need to get a lawyer, which to mm. me is very surprising because it's like going to court and, you know, being in front of a judge without a lawyer, basically. Um, it's it, The brevity of that conversation is can't be sort of undermined, you know? 
Um, and depending on how you perform or how you prepare for that PRP process, whether that's in the form of a phone conversation or written submissions, then the 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 officer that actually you know talks to you about the PRP will then decide whether okay I think this needs to be interrogated further and and if it is decided from the based on the opinion and the evidence that the officer has seen that this needs to be interrogated further they do what we call a referral to the professional services review which is the PSR now the there's three stages in professional services review stage one two three Stage one is the director stage, stage two is the committee stage, stage three is the determining authority stage. Um, just briefly on those stages, basically the stage one is where the director of professional services review, who by the way is appointed and recommended by the Australian Medical Association and the Department of um, and sorry, the health minister um, will then invite you to will then you know write to you and say that look she's she or he has decided to investigate your practice and these are the concerns that she or he has um, and then you get several stages of you know submission rights so you sort of do a lot of throwing back and talking and and they come for an interview and so forth so it's a, it's a quite a hefty big stage one. Um, that stage one can can result in no guilt, no guilt found, so you get completely off the hook, or you get referred to stage two, or you sign what we call section 92 agreements, which is like a agreement that you've done something inappropriately and you, you agree to pay back a certain amount of um, money to the government. Um, and that, by the way, I must say, that money that whatever stage you are in, in PSR, the money that you pay back is not like the actual money that you got, right? So it includes the tax money that you already paid the Commonwealth, and it also includes the service fees that you've already paid your practice, let's say. So it's quite a large sum when it comes to it, because ultimately you didn't, you never saw that money. Um, right. Most so, people... so, so just to clarify, if I were to yeah. bill, say, $300,000 per annum, and mm -hmm. the, the PSR investigated me... Uh, uh, and and that three hundred thousand that was that was my total gross billings. But of course, the practice that I work at is entitled to say thirty percent of that. Um, what's my liability? Is it the three hundred thousand uh, or is it the seventy percent? No, it's, it, it's no, no, no. It's the three hundred thousand. Wow. So okay. so you know, even if you just take a simple example that you know, let's say three hundred thousand, right? So that's um, how much is that? So ninety thousand of that is going to go to this the actual practice, and then you're left with, gosh, I'm not a math person. You are, David. What's that? So <laughs> three hundred thousand, two hundred ten, and then let's say like most most general practitioners, I would say, is in the bracket of like paying almost fifty percent tax, right? So if we even cut that in half, let's say you mm -hmm. you only really see 110,000 or 100,000 100, let's say of that 300,000 really right. um, but you end up paying 300,000 okay <sighs> yeah so it's <laughs> I know it's really scary because you don't you don't have that money you never made it so it's really really scary and it's it could be detrimental to you so as I, I'm actually a law graduate as well, um, soon to be admitted as a solicitor, I'm hoping. Um, so from our point of view, when we work with clients that go through this, we really, really work hard to try to 
diffuse the situation, obviously in the PRP level, um, and really try to negotiate it down so that the stage one is as far as you can get from a PSR point of view, um, because you know going through the whole process can be quite quite damaging and we can get into the detailing of that um, perhaps in another episode but just going through the skeleton of the actual you know what it is um, so if if the director is not able to reach a decision to let you go or you know um, get to a section 92 agreement where you agree to repay um, she she or he can also give you a reprimand as well so you will be banned to um, billing certain item numbers as well even at the section 92 level but if an agreement is not reached uh, or a conclusion is not reached, then she or he will then refer you to what we call stage two. Now, having I I have been through all these stages, so I can tell you that um, life's thrown a lot of tough stuff to me. But the experience I had in the eight or seven days of what we call an interrogation time with um, so what happens is you get appointed three of your peers who, you know, who whatever craft you are, you are, you'll have a peer that's appointed by the government. And you sort of sit in this um, sometimes courtroom, sometimes office rooms. You've got a um, typing person that types and records everything. Then you've got your peers that sit across the room like they're like basically judges in a court. Um, and you're allowed to bring support person and all of that, but you literally have to go through, um, you know, 25 to 30 records of each item numbers that they randomly take. Um, and bear in mind, these, in, these investigations, like they can span back a couple of years, right? So it might be medical records that you have never seen for good couple of years so you know you're going through that and they ask you specific questions and it, it, it's extremely extremely daunting um and it, it feels like you're in a court interrogated by judges and, and legal people and also the peers that are on the other side of the, the room have a whole panel of lawyers that sit um, but you're not allowed to have a legal representation there. So it's it's really daunting. And you go through the whole thing and basically, um, you know, it spans over quite a few days. It's a whole day thing. Um, and then they basically go away. Um, and after a couple of months, they come up with a report um, either saying, yeah, no, everything is okay, which never happens. So PSR has a 100% conviction rate by the way, um, and then they will, you know, make recommendations of, a, of an inappropriate finding. You do have some rights to write a few submissions um, at stage two, post stage two as well, but then um, it will then be referred to the, the, what we call the stage three, which is to the determining authority, and that's again another panel of doctors who will look at the whole, you know, doctors or health, other healthcare professionals who will look at your report and everything that's happened and then they then um they then do a thing called ratification of that um finding um which then becomes a um a debt that you owe the government an official debt that you owe the government just like a tax debt and um after that's that whole thing is done that whole report goes to goes back to the department of health to medicare and medicare then issues you an invoice for whatever amount you have been found guilty for 
what happens after that you you know depending on your financial situation if you can't pay it up front or within a reasonable amount of time you then have to negotiate a payment plan you have to show all your bank accounts and all your assets and so forth um, review that you know off and on and um, hope that they don't bankrupt you and basically um, yeah work on a, on a payment plan so that's also, you know, I've seen a lot of people struggle because they've had um, findings of item numbers that they've had uh, been banned on, which means that you can't actually, you know, make a living either because some of the item numbers that you were relying on to make a living are the ones that are banned now. So it's, it's a very tricky situation, David. It's not something that I would wish upon anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh... I mean, we've we've spoken about the fines. Is that the worst thing that can happen? Is that the worst case scenario? The fines and the restrictions? That's a really good question because, you know, having personally gone through it and having seen a lot of my colleagues go through it, to be honest, the money part of it is hard, of course, but we're all healthcare professionals. So we, we are affluent and we're able to make a living. We're smart people. I actually am of the opinion that the money isn't actually the worst part of it. The, I think the, the mental pressure and the psychological damage that you get going through this process, and this is with all due respect to the, to the Commonwealth and to the Professional Services Review itself, because they're just doing their job, okay? So I have nothing against the fact that they have to do this job. But it's, it's just a really awful thing to go through, um, just like any other regulatory oddity sort of thing is always a nasty thing to go through. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think the worst thing is the, the innate feeling of unfairness because most of the times um, the people that go through it, I don't think ever, I mean, I for one never meant to do the wrong thing as, as decided by this group of people. Um, I don't, you know, the, there's a whole different platform and group of, of, that you get referred to if you are deemed to have been fraudulent, which is what PSR can do. If PSR investigates you and thinks that you are fraudulent, for example, then they then refer you to a different sort of sector. So the mental health side of things is huge. The other thing is, um, I guess the worst thing that can come out of it is if you are a dodgy doctor or a dodgy biller, um, you know, the ramification is not only money. So you can actually get referred to the police. You can actually get referred to APRA as well, which is a registration body. Um, and, you know, people people have, can lose their uh, ability to actually practice. So it's it's not nice. It's not mm. nice. Um, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that necessarily we shouldn't have something like this because I absolutely believe that you know when you're accessing public money, we should all be accountable for every single dollar that we are actually accepting. Um, but the process is very serious, very onerous. Um, and at the moment, I think there's a lot of issues within the process that um, needs to be looked at and healthcare professionals need to really be aware of this and make sure that they are protected um, and, and put in place preventative measures so that they don't actually end up on the bandwagon. Because once you're on the bandwagon, the, the actual destination is pretty much predestined. Right, right, I understand. I suppose as well... Um you mentioned restrictions on your practice. I suppose if you're a healthcare practitioner and you rely on patients coming in with, say, complex 
ailments where you need to write a care plan and you're unable to do that, you, you'll have to refer them on to a, a different practitioner. Is that right? Yeah, look, I mean, usually the, the banning is like a 12-month or a six-month period. Sometimes mm. they ban you for life. Um, it's humiliating, right, in a same practice if you've got patients that come for a certain type of service and then you just can't do it, so you have to let your, your peers know and ask them to do it. So it's mm-hmm. it's it, it detrimental to continuative care and also in your own I, th- I think what, what I usually use as an analogy is existential crisis. You know, you really go through this sort of crisis as a healthcare professional that you go, what what was my life? You know, what was the actual purpose of my life? Um, mm-hmm. I've actually seen healthcare professionals become very acutely suicidal um, because of this. And um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really humiliating, both on the front of not being able to be the breadwinner anymore because you can't bring in the income that you used to because of this and also that public humiliation, I suppose, um, which doesn't help. Yeah, especially if it's exposed to your peers. If you have Correct, to ask yeah. your peers to, to look after your patients because you can't uh, write a care plan for them, then and, uh, and that can't be to, easy. You know, just to put a spanner in the whole thing... Um, Section 106ZR, which is one of the sections that I, you know, unsuccessfully challenged in the federal court case that I ran, um, also prohibits you from actually disclosing the content of what stage two was about. So you can't actually talk about all the stuff that you, you know, supposedly learned in this process of what could be a wrong way of billing and what couldn't be. So you don't, you know, you can't, like, for example, if I'm told a certain medical condition is never to be used as a care plan, for example, I would think that I would love to tell that (laughs) to my colleagues who maybe, you know, is in the the next room billing it, you know, Mm -hmm. but we can't, by law we can't. So I did try to challenge this in court, but the answer I got was that it's not a legal question that needs to be answered. It's a political question and the legislation protects them at the moment, which, you know, I'm hoping that organizations like APAS would be able to speak to politicians and try to table and start to change. Mm-hmm. All right. How about we talk about the uh, the best case scenario? What, um, sure. what can happen if, if thing go, things go your way? Look, um, from a PSR statistical point of view, nothing's in the good couple of years has gone our way. So other than uh, I believe there is a case currently pending in the federal court um, where a PSR case has been dropped and there's been some questions in regards to the conduct of the of the current director. Um, but the best case is that you, you know, you get off the hook because you were able to demonstrate that everything everything that you have built is correctly built but it's kind of a lotto ticket scenario because david how it works is they randomly select um a certain number of item item number based patient records so and then let's say they select 10 right and out of the 10 if five of them they think is not good then 50 percent of it they extrapolate it to that one year of billing Right. So it's all so so you could be having a really crappy day for like coincidentally 10 days where your notes might not be as, you know, beautiful um and you're done. 
And so, let's face it, uh, things are different now uh, post-COVID. Um, there's yes, of course. shortages in the workforce. Um, there are a lot of people going out there. Just let's let's be honest; they've forgotten how to be safe. <laughs> We're Correct. getting um, a huge influx of flu cases. You know, uh, waiting rooms are absolutely full to the brim these days. The, um, the pressure, the pressure of healthcare practitioners to maintain a certain standard, a standard that is a phantom standard because you can't have access to previous, you know, previous data. And then, and then to have that fear of potentially going through this process, and then knowing that this process ends only in a, you know, in a in a billing of inappropriateness, it, it's huge. And and thus, I think we might just wrap it up for this episode today. But just to preempt our next episode, um, in our next episode, we want to talk about some of the prevention and protection measures that potentially people like APAS and GP Clarity can provide um, and, and go through that because I think that's extremely important. Unless, and also just a myth bust, um, just because you're what we call privately billing, you're not exempt. So if your patients are going back to Medicare and getting money back, you are still billing Medicare. Right. The only way to be completely, completely immune to PSR process is to ask your patient to pay cash for your services with no rebate. They can't. They cannot touch you. Still, APRA can because it's your conduct that matters from from an APRA point of view. But if you bill completely commercially, so you just say, you know, to see me for fifteen minutes, it's fifty dollars. Thank you very much. There is no rebate then yes, you are exempt from PSR. But otherwise, everybody else who is privately billing or bulk billing or specialist or general practitioners or physios doing um, care plan billing or anybody will be potentially subjected to this process. So it's extremely important, guys, to listen up to the next episode coming up. Um, We will be publishing every week. on different topics, not only about PSR and Medicare billing, um, but looking forward to catching up with you guys in about a week. Yeah. Thanks, Anchita. And see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>